everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen. We've got a great conversation for you today. Jen Mosier was back on the podcast and we had a conversation about why programs don't work or why they do. It's a great conversation. Jen talks about the importance of culture building and the foundation of relationships and all of the conditions that really surround a program and make the difference as to whether it works or fizzles. She talks about the importance of getting the blessing of the pastor and how to start that conversation. She talks about forming leaders for mission. It's a fantastic conversation. If you come at this convinced that programs don't work or convinced that they are the silver bullet, you're going to love today's conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Jen Mosier, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good. Okay. So Jen, remind me, is this your second or third time? I think it's my third time. Third time. Yeah. Third mm-hmm. time as a guest. I think that's a record. The Archbishop's only at two, so we won't, I don't know if he's listening right now. Ha <laughs> ha, we'll happily bring you back, Archbishop, but I think you are our most frequent guest. Jen, we're, we're going to have a conversation today, address a little bit of like nerdy controversy, right, that folks here on, in the pastoral services office sometimes debate. But before we do, right, for, for those who don't know you, Jen, who are you? When did you first encounter Jesus? What's your story? Yeah, so I am a farm girl, born and raised in uh, near Clearwater, Nebraska. You know, I think my story is a little bit unique in the sense that I don't really remember a time when I didn't know that God was meant to be at the center of my life mm. and that I was made to have a relationship with him. And I really have to credit that to my parents mm-hmm. because there was so much that was just ab- absorbed in my home life. My parents actually had some profound experiences. My dad, when he was in college, and my mom, uh, when she was uh, just newly married, at some retreats. And that just impacted their own relationship with the Lord in a way that they started to bring into our home Mm -hmm. um, these different influences. Uh, We listened to Christian radio. They started to just kind of pray spontaneously. We would do that after dinner at night. Mm-hmm. I saw them reading their Bibles. They were in these Bible studies with some some friends. All of that just made this huge impression on me and communicated that following the Lord was something that was meant to be personal mm-hmm. and was meant to really impact every aspect of your life. So I never had kind of a massive conversion moment. It was just a lot of little daily steps and key moments, some of which were, you know, programmatic in nature, retreats mm-hmm. and things like that as I was growing up, but really just a lot of uh, small things that kind of added up to this experience of wanting to know the Lord more and wanting to receive his love in a way that was personal to me. Jenna, as you tell the story of your parents, I think I remember, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they had some like friendships that they developed with some evangelical Protestants that really influenced them. And of course, as, as you talk about it, you know, some of those things like, yeah, they'd pray spontaneously, they'd read their Bible. You know, for many of our listeners, that's not the typical Catholic experience, mm-hmm. but their friendship with these evangelicals seemed to drive them deeper into their Catholic faith. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Like what you saw as a child watching, and then now, you know, in retrospect, being an adult and interacting with your parents uh, as a as an adult with faith? Yeah. Yeah. And I would to say, um, just to start, my parents never really seriously considered leaving the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Their friends who were evangelical, uh, one of them was my dad's cousin, that mm. they left the Catholic Church. And so obviously they were already in relationship and they continued mm-hmm. to be in relationship. But it was all very natural. Like it was right. not, I don't know, it wasn't weird in my experience. It was very small kind of little things 
that they did uh, on a daily basis that just were oriented toward how can we grow in our relationship with the Lord in mm-hmm. a way that would help us know him more and love him more and, and then live out of that overflow of the love we've received. Yeah, it, it seems like they uniquely and blessedly so were able to recognize these practices as just another authentic expression of their Catholic faith. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you're all grown up now. Uh, I mean, you know, as much as any of us are. Right. And here you are working for the Archdiocese of Omaha. What do you do again? What's your day job? Yeah, well, I'd maybe just start by saying this is not where I saw myself ending up. You know, I, I think back to my upbringing and I never had any inkling that I would be working for the Archdiocese. That was not at all in my plan for life. But it's been such a gift and and really just, I feel like, one step at a time to, to get me where I am. So my job is... Uh, I am the associate director of the parish support team. I coach pastors in leadership and evangelization, uh, as well as other key parish leaders. And then another thing that I get to do, which is is really fun, is I coordinate the mentorship program, which is a two-year process of training lay leaders for evangelization. I always tell people that I get to work with the best of the best from the Archdiocese, mm-hmm. and it, it really, it's so energizing and life-giving to be with people who love the Lord, want to grow in their own relationship with Him, and then want to share that goodness that they've received with others. Yeah, we were, as we were talking before we hit record, we always pray. We're just praying and I was just hit by just a tremendous gratitude that, you know, like the Lord has really blessed us with, like you said, just really wonderful people that we get to work with, mm-hmm. both as peers and then those that we're, we're serving in our parishes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see if we can bless those people with a really nerdy conversation here. I want to talk about programs. Sometimes I feel like there's this unhealthy pendulum swing in the way we sometimes think about the role of programs in evangelization and in parish renewal. So let me see if I can frame this. On the one hand, sometimes we imagine that a program is a silver bullet, that it can fix anything and you just just open the box and it's going to evangelize people. And then on the other hand, sometimes we've been often right burned by a program that didn't work, put a lot of time and energy, felt like it fizzled and died. And we can develop a distaste and aversion to anything that seems systematic and programmatic. Jen, how do we begin to sort this out and those those kind of two seemingly diametrically opposed visions of the role that that programs can have? Yeah, well, I want to begin by saying that I think it's totally understandable that people would come to the conclusion that programs don't work, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not that hard to break them. (laughs) What do you mean by that? That's Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of dynamics that have to come together for a program to be run well. Some of those are technical, Mm -hmm. you know, good music and good content matters. But some of those are also relational. And oftentimes I think those are the most neglected, Mm -hmm. that we don't have the structures or, or the relationships in place that people would be supported through the programs we run in a way that that could really help the programs bear as much fruit as they could. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. What would you say, like, what's the difference between programs that work and programs that don't work? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we first have to define what success looks like. So what is our goal mm. with this particular program? What do we really want to accomplish? And what's the fruit that we want to see? And I think oftentimes we're not always clear about that. We don't always take the time to reflect and really think and pray about what should that look like. Mm. So I think that's the first thing is is a program that works is one that has a definite vision of what it's trying to produce or what the goal is. Mm. Not, not to interrupt, but I'd actually disagree. I think most of the time we, we don't sure. stop and think like, what mm-hmm. do we actually want? Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes if a program is a tool, we're using the wrong tool to try, you know, like we're, we're using a hammer 
when what we really need is a drill. Mm -hmm. But the hammer was handy and it was on sale that month. And so mm -hmm. we went with a hammer and we, we didn't really think about what do we really want? What does success look like? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that oftentimes that happens when we have been used to trying to reach a target audience. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of years in youth ministry. And of course, we have sacramental preparation programs and we mm -hmm. have religious education and we have youth ministry. So I think especially with those type of things or even RCIA with adults. And I think this is part of, of what is essential if a program is going to work is we have a quote unquote target audience. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that's just an age group or a particular demographic. But what we don't take into account is that people are not at all in the same place, even within those kind of target age ranges. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so this was something that was really revolutionary for me when I was um, going through graduate school and learned about the process of evangelization that the church uh, lays out for us. And the idea is that there's actually a process that people go through that's typical from being far away from the Lord and not knowing him at all mm -hmm. to starting to come to an awareness of who he is and an acceptance of the Lord as the center of their life, making a decision to follow him as a disciple, and then growth through stages of discipleship to greater spiritual maturity, that there's actually kind of a defined process it doesn't look the same for everyone, but mm -hmm. the church does articulate for us uh, what that journey tends to look like and what those steps are. And and for most of our programs that we run, oftentimes we're dealing with people that are in completely different situations. You may have, say, in a youth ministry program, young people who um, are only there because their parents want them to be there. They might identify right. They might identify as atheist or agnostic. And then you've got kids that have had some kind of encounter with the Lord and want to grow. Well, how do you minister to people in such different situations when you just have one program, right? So what you're saying is just because they're a sophomore in high school and maybe go to the same parish mm -hmm. does not mean they're in the same place spiritually and does right. not mean that an out-of-the-box program can minister to the variety of needs all at the same time. Right. Well, I would say another example of this is RCIA, right? Yeah. You have adults that are coming into the church. Um, sometimes they have grown up in another faith tradition and mm -hmm. they were already deeply involved in their church and um, had a, a profound relationship and encounter with the Lord. But they've just come to a realization that, well, the Catholic church is where I want to be. This is right. this is the Lord's plan is for me to be in the Catholic church. And um, sometimes they just fell in love with a cute Catholic girl. <laughs> And yes, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, sometimes you have people that are joining the church because their spouse or their, their future spouse yeah. is Catholic. And so having an RCIA program that meets people in both of those situations with very different needs can be really hard. I mean, and add to that, folks who have no church back background whatsoever. I mean, as, as you talk, it's like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a married couple or, an, excuse me, an engaged couple hoping to get married. Man, you the spouses themselves, not just the couple as a whole, are coming at very different spots. It's like everybody has his personal journey. Right. Weird. Exactly. So Jen, how do we how do you take that into account mm -hmm. with a program? Because I I'm I'm we're I'm feeling the tension. That's like how could a program possibly minister to people at all those various points in the journey? Yeah. Well and often I would say that one program can't. Okay. Now, at least on its own. Right. I think one of the, the pitfalls we can fall into and one of the reasons why programs sometimes don't work is that we we try to run them as something that's standalone mm -hmm. or in a vacuum apart from ongoing relationships relationships where people are in relationship with others who can accompany them at a deeper personal level than what a program that's kind of out of the box could do. Okay, say more about that because we were talking a little bit before we hit record, just this idea that programs themselves don't exist in a vacuum. 
and there's my words but not yours there's these 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 other elements activating agents that have to be in place if the program is going to actually bear fruit. Yeah, so I think especially for people who are a little bit early on in their faith journey, mm-hmm. or maybe they haven't even really had a deeper kind of encounter with the Lord yet, and in a real experiential way, you know, right. that that is personal to them, that what they need more than anything is, is people to come alongside them who are maybe just a couple steps ahead, mm-hmm. who can ask some key questions, and, and all of this in the context of authentic friendship, mm-hmm. that I know that this person cares about me mm-hmm. as a person and that I'm not a project to them. You know, I'm not someone yeah. that they're trying to to fix or to to get to this space that they want me to be, mm-hmm. but they're just there because they want to spend time with me. And in that context, we can have these natural kind of honest, open conversations about faith that then can lead to them sharing their own experience with me and vice versa. And together we can ask important questions. And I think without that context, of that kind of authentic friendship or or ongoing accompaniment mm-hmm. might be a word we use. If you try to just kind of fit a program in without that context, it often is not going to work because the the foundation wasn't laid right. for a heart to be open and receptive to what the program wants to do, you right. know, or could do and accomplish. But then there's also not someone to help me process what that experience was. Right. And the fruit of what the program could have potentially done is lost. Yeah. We were saying earlier that sometimes it's actually not that the program didn't work. Mm-hmm. It did. But right, I mean, thank you, Jesus. We actually believe that fruit can be stolen away. Right. It can wither if there's not someone there who can kind of harvest it and nurture it and sustain it. Sometimes it's, I would venture to guess that what seems like a program that didn't work was actually a program that did work. Mm-hmm. It's just there was no ability to harvest it and help people move to the next step in their journey. Right. So Jen, if we can, can you lay out like what are some of the principles, what are some of these activating agents that need to be in place for programs to work, right? You talked about this kind of relational connection, particularly for people who are early on in their faith journey. What else needs to be in place? Yeah. So I think a broader accompaniment from the community is always really helpful hmm. because there's so much that is absorbed in community life uh, when there's a good culture that can help to cultivate a deeper encounter with the Lord. I think this is a struggle for a lot of us in mm-hmm. our parishes because the culture that we encounter on a regular basis is one that doesn't encourage conversation about our own personal faith experience. We don't feel comfortable just having a conversation spontaneously about our prayer life, you know, or about what we learned or read in scripture today, you know. Mm -hmm. So programs that fit in the context of both that kind of individual intentional accompaniment, but also a broader support from the community for the things that are trying to be reinforced in the program, I think is really critical. Can you give an example of what this looks like? Because I'm I'm imagining like, yeah, how shocking it would be. And I've heard people tell personal stories about this, that they're raised in another faith tradition. They fall in love with the Catholic church. You know, they stumble onto, you know, Bishop Barron's videos or they, they read their way into the church and they're so excited to join RCIA. And the RCIA community itself, although, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's like, gosh, they're not as good as Bishop Barron, but I love these people and they're helping to teach me about the Catholic faith. And then when they become part of the larger faith community, it's like they go from a jacuzzi into a cold swimming pool. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is interested. Nobody else seems to care. Have you ever seen it happen well? Or can you give any examples Mm -hmm. of maybe like how a parish community 
could change their culture so that the programs aren't these odd moments that they're actually a representation and harmonious with the larger culture. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's it's a tough thing to shift culture and it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So I think we have to, to expect that it's going to start with individual disciples who kind of make a decision to say, you know what, together we're, we're going to try to to make some shifts in the way that we operate. Mm. And I think that has to be an intentional decision. And it doesn't have to be everyone at once, but it does have to be a small group of people that say, you know what, our parish is not very welcoming, mm-hmm. but we're going to make an intentional effort when we see a new person come in on Sunday at Mass to introduce ourselves afterward. Right. But we will be welcoming. Right. First step, right, if you're going to change the culture, like create a subculture, right, right. of individuals mm-hmm. who do value and live out hospitality or growth in your faith intellectually, whatever. Mm-hmm. And over time, you can you can grow that, you know? Sure. I think yeah. that I would like to hold up just, a, I think, a good example of this is, is many of our Newman centers. Yes. That that has been something that I've experienced having done college campus ministry, mm-hmm. that many of the programs that we would, would try to run were supported with a culture mm-hmm. at the Newman Center where people did experience that welcome and that hospitality. People were, were actively invited into opportunities, mm-hmm. social opportunities, you know, where they could build friendships and, and feel like they were part of things. And then that was a... a A next step could be, you know, an invitation to a retreat or Mm -hmm. into a small group or or whatever the programmatic kind of thing was that we were doing. Well, there was a continuity. I love the way you said there's a continuity between this first experience of a Bible study or a program or RCIA and then the larger community. They actually went together. Right. And in the absence of that, a parish can intentionally work to create a sub community or sub communities that continue to embody that type of culture. Right. And I I would like to talk a little bit about, you asked kind of the basic elements of programs that make them work. I think that there are some programs that foster that culture really well. Yeah. And so they can actually help to influence the broader parish community because Mm -hmm. the way that they uh, lead people through the process of the program has those elements Mm -hmm. of welcoming and hospitality, of real connection and Mm -hmm. friendship with other people. Typically, they also do have good kind of content, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The type of things that are being discussed are engaging, mm-hmm. and the way that that's presented is engaging. I think that things I would, I would just hold up, like Alpha is a good example yeah, of a program. Yeah, yeah talk so about it. Alpha is a great example of a, a program that's geared to adults, and it's aimed at people who maybe don't have a, a, an active relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. that they would say that they're not Christian, or maybe they are Christian, but attending mass or church or whatever is, yeah, is just not... not it's, there's no, there's very low assumptions right. in, in Alpha. Right, yep. And, and maybe they have real questions that need to be answered. You know, mm-hmm. they've had suffering in their life or they've seen that in a loved one. They question whether what the church teaches is true or not. Alpha is a great space for people to be open with all of their fears and concerns and questions mm-hmm. in a context of friendship. Mm-hmm. There's always a meal with Alpha. So, right. and that's, and they say that that's key to the program is, is starting with a meal where people talk about just their lives. It's, mm-hmm. And the conversation over the meal is, is not supposed to be about faith. So it creates a, a space where they just they know that they're loved and cared for, uh, apart from whatever they think about what's going to be talked about that night. Mm-hmm. So Alpha has a culture that comes with it when it's done well that really can start to transform a parish. The the more people who go through that experience and start to kind of catch this culture 
that can be brought into the broader parish community. I think this can also happen with small faith-sharing groups. Mm-hmm. And this is something that a number of our parishes are doing in, in various ways, where you have women who come together or men who come together or married couples who come together and, and have conversations about what the Lord is doing in their life, where they're questioning, where where they're struggling. They can come together and pray with each other, for each other. And that can start to be that subculture. Right, yeah. Can start to grow into broader culture in the parish as well. Right, it's doing both. It's, it is that moment, but it also is a, a sustainable little subculture where people are like, oh, this is a group of people that I can talk about my faith with. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not weird. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're you're in a discernment mode or you're looking for programs. Like what do you look for to see is a program attentive or is this program going to be helpful in building a culture of hospitality, of openness to outsiders, of a safe space for people to ask questions about faith. How do you look for that? What do you, what do you look for? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say that it's always good to start by looking at the fruit that it's producing. Hmm. What is the result? As we talk about wanting to, to be clear about what the goal of programs is, yeah. what is the fruit that it's producing? The people that go through this program, what would they say their experience is? Mm-hmm. Well, it's huge. You know, is is did they feel welcome? Did they feel like the people there cared about them? Mm-hmm. Did they feel safe to be vulnerable and share? Um, was there an atmosphere of trust? Do they come back and say, you know, our time of prayer or worship together was was really impactful for me? Mm-hmm. Because all of these these things. I would say just as kind of a broad goal, we want people to have a deeper experience of the Lord's love for them. Right. Whatever stage of the journey they're on, whether that is a a new experience or whether it's a a habituated experience that they're they're trying to lean into as the Lord calls them forth into mission, wherever they're at, Mm -hmm. we want people to have that experience. Right. And I think especially for for those who maybe are just early on in the faith journey, I think there often can be a question or a doubt as to whether I could actually experience that. Mm -hmm. Could I actually experience God's love for me personally, because I haven't up to this point in my right. life. Yeah. Is that just for the insiders or is that for me too? Right. And so I think that you have to start looking then at what are the elements of that program that could help foster that experience. Mm-hmm. I think whether it's a talk that someone's giving or whether it's a video that's shown, how that's done and, and having that done well is really critical. Having oftentimes small groups as a part of that experience where people Mm -hmm. can break open what they just heard and received and talk about what really hit them in a personal Mm -hmm. way. That's, I think, also critical. Things like music that's well done, Mm -hmm. that can actually move the heart and open the heart is another element that we Mm want to look for. I love that you talked about the heart there. It seems like a key element for any program, you know, designed to serve people at any stage of the journey is actually, it has to be attentive to the heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know as Catholics, right, that we're a unity of body and soul and that we're both rational and emotional beings, but sometimes we don't act like it. Mm -hmm. Particularly in the app, you know, as we think of programs, sometimes we we just don't build in bathroom breaks and we just like, imagine that we're angels and, you know, know, there's no, sometimes we, we, we tend to forget that we have bodies and we tend to forget that we have emotions right. and programs that not only speak to the intellect, but also speak to the heart are key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say I'm, I'm a learner, so I love to learn new information. Yes. I love to grow in that way, but not everybody has that same drive that I do <laughs> to be a right, learner. Yeah. Right. And all of us relate to God in a very unique way. For some of us, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of intellectual route of understanding and knowing truth tends to be 
the way that we, the primary way that we connect. And yet there's still this need for a deeper experience of the Lord's love for us that, that often comes through other means like beauty and goodness. Mm-hmm. That when we, we see an example and a witness of someone in a way that's attractive, that is living their life, growing in their relationship with the Lord, and we see, you know, I, I like that in my own life. Mm-hmm. So testimony of others, of their own experience in a way that is relevant to us. All of those things can, can really help to open our hearts to the invitation that the Lord might have for us mm-hmm. to more. So you're saying if a program is going to speak to the heart. Things like music, things like small groups where people can find a small environment to share and process what they're what they're experiencing. Opportunities, right, where people can discuss what they're learning, uh, maybe be accompanied by a mentor. All of these elements, space for a meal and relationship building help to make a program real and mm-hmm. personal and relational so that whatever the designed outcome is, is being those seeds are being sown in the context of a, of a relationship. Yeah. And I think I would highlight the last one that I mentioned too about just witness and testimony of others Yes, yeah. about their own life experience. All of us like to hear a good story. Mm-hmm. And when it's told well, someone sharing their own personal experience, that draws us in. And it also, I think for for most of us, helps us feel like what they shared was relatable in a way that that I, I could maybe see myself in that space, you know? Jen, I'm just thinking for those who are listening now are like, I don't know, like we tried this, like we, you know, we, we did some programs and, you know, and like we actually, we didn't skimp on the meal. We actually had the meal or we did it right. They had these characteristics where, where, you know, it was a personal thing and people were sharing a testimony, but it still didn't work. It didn't seem to change anything. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common pitfalls? What might people be missing when they, we think we've kind of created this, this space where a program can flourish? What, what are some common pitfalls that we just might not be aware of? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that you want to consider is, was this thing that we were trying to do really inspired by the Lord? Oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, was it, was it something that was actually something that the Lord was inviting us to do? Did we, we seek his guidance and, and uh, leading, you know, as we were trying to do this? That's great revolutionary thought just like what do people do if they want to like seek the lord mm-hmm. right because because it's that's very different than okay jesus so we're thinking we're going to do this could you bless it right you're saying like jesus what should we do right yeah and i think it starts with taking the desires on your heart to him yeah and telling him lord this is what i'd like to see happen these are the people that i'd like to reach here's what i'd like them to experience to grow in relationship with you mm-hmm. and in that conversation with the lord to notice what does he put on your heart? Mm-hmm. Is there peace about moving forward mm-hmm. and, and the prospect of, of this particular program? Is there a sense of the Lord's blessing and providence? And often that has to happen in conversation with other people, that uh, other people who we desire to do this program with, that we would pray together and ask God to show us, mm-hmm. Lord, what's your will? Yeah. I love the way you describe that. I forget the exact words you, you said there, but that, that there's a need and even beyond the need, there's a person, mm-hmm. whether it's a particular person or just you know a group of people like young moms, that the Lord puts this need on our hearts. And as we begin to individually and together bring that need to him, he does begin to show us how, how he wants to meet that need and where he's inviting us to be a part of that mm-hmm. plan. I think oftentimes the Lord doesn't bless things that are also not blessed by those in authority over us. Ooh, okay, say more about that. Yeah. Oftentimes we might have a desire as lay people 
to see a particular ministry or mission flourish. Mm -hmm. But if we haven't sought the guidance and oversight of our pastors or maybe Mm -hmm. key parish staff, and we haven't really tried to have honest, open conversation with them about those things, that sometimes the Lord actually doesn't want us to move forward in that way. Right. To not have the, Mm -hmm. the body getting ahead of the head. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. That's good. okay. So, how do you start that conversation as a layperson? Mm-hmm. You're like you feel like the Lord has put this thing on your heart. You've got the program, you checked out the website, you're all ready to go, you've got the samples. You're like, "Oh crap. I need to talk to insert staff member here, insert pastor mm-hmm. here." How do you start that conversation? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it starts with our own hearts and just checking where our hearts are in in mm. going into that conversation. Because I think that we want to have an openness, not be so attached to our own ideas mm. that, that we're open to the input or the redirection of others. Mm. So I think that's really important just to notice, like, where is my own disposition going into this conversation mm. to kind of surrender that to the mm-hmm. Lord? And then I think it, it's a matter of really just sharing your heart. Um, it requires a little bit of vulnerability and putting yourself out there to say, I've really been thinking and praying about this, and I'd really like to to see if this is something we could do. Could I have your blessing, or does this resonate with a direction that you see our parish going? Right. What is your vision for mm-hmm. the future and, and how we're going to help people have a deeper encounter with the Lord? Does this fit with that? Right. And by way of encouragement, I mean, in my experience, not universally, but oftentimes the Spirit has been at work in the staff member or the leaders, pastors, mm-hmm. heart and mind. And the same spirit that's inspiring you is inspiring them. But oftentimes there's just a little bit of tweak. You you saw you mm-hmm. saw a need and you intend to fill it this way. And they saw the same need and they want to fill it this way. And there's just a little bit of a synthesis that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But it's often very confirming because they're like, okay, there's something going on here. The Lord is bringing this to both of our attention. I'm putting myself at the service and humbly coming to the the leader in charge. It it really can be a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jen, what else? Like Those are great. If its program's not working, one of the pitfalls is, did you ask Jesus? Mm -hmm. Do you have the blessing of the pastor or the, the authority in charge? Mm-hmm. What else? I think one of the biggest pitfalls when it comes to programs is starting something before you really have enough well-formed leaders to run it. Mm. And I think that this is something that we do frequently <laughs> in the church. Yeah. You know, have we actually spent the time to not just recruit, but also to form people to help us with this and that we've waited to begin until we're confident that we have the people and the mm-hmm. momentum to sustain it. And I think that the formation piece as well, oftentimes we don't quite know how or what we need mm-hmm. to form people in. But I would just hold up that most Catholics, most of us, <laughs> can use some help in our own personal prayer. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't feel really comfortable leading prayer with others. Most of us don't really know how to intercede for others. Right. So there's a lot that can be done in forming us around prayer. Right. You're saying like, okay, so if you are the leader, you're the pastor, whoever, and you're like, okay, I need leaders to help me bring this program to life. I know I need to form them, but Mm -hmm. how? We're like, well, start with prayer. One, it's going to be the fuel. Their personal prayer and their ability to intercede is probably going to be the fuel of fruitfulness of the program. Right. But sad to say... You can probably anticipate that most even generous, well-intentioned volunteers in a parish don't have a lot of formation in prayer. Mm -hmm. And even if they do, it's hard to go wrong by forming people in prayer. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And I would add, in addition to that, you know, some formation around particular skills. So maybe it's like leading a small group, if that's a mm-hmm. component of the program, or you're you're wanting people to share their testimony. People need usually a lot of guidance around that because often as Catholics, we've never told anyone our own story, yeah. right? We've never actually been in a position where where we have to share that publicly because it's kind of just been a private thing for us as Catholics. Right. But that's a basic skill that no matter what type of ministry we're talking about, being able to share your story, this is how the, God, how, how the living God has come to me today or this week and is guiding me, encouraging me, saving me, ongoing. Right. Or even something as simple as hospitality. Mm-hmm. I would just say that this is something How to meet that people. Yeah. So, this is something that I I don't think comes naturally to me sometimes, you know? Sure. Yeah. As an introvert, as someone who has kind of an empathetic heart but doesn't always enjoy ice breaking, you know, right. starting the conversation. That's something that I've had to be formed in myself to to have more skills in that area, to know how to engage in that. And I think that that a lot of us have never really had that type of experience. So, all of the those ways of forming leaders, those are really critical if we're going to be able to run a program well. That's awesome. Okay, Jen. So we spent most of our time so far talking about folks who are like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm fine with the program. I just need to figure out how do we make it work. And so we've talked about those elements that we sometimes miss that have to be in place that help activate a program or they help create this soil so that you know, this tree that we plant begins to bear fruit. I want to, just as we get close to, to wrapping up here, I want to do a little role play and I want you to talk to that person who hates programs. And in particular, and maybe like their their kind of aversion to programs, maybe they've been burned in the past, now kind of spiritualized in, you know, evangelization can't be planned. We're just going to let the spirit lead us and guide us. Again, not that, of course, there's anything wrong with letting the spirit lead us and guide us, but there's kind of a stubborn refusal to plan or systematize or do anything that even feels the least bit programmatic. Mm-hmm. You, you be Jen, because you're good at that. I'm going to be Pastor James here. I'm in the pastor of this parish for three years now. I was all fired up when I got here and we tried a bunch of programs. None of them worked. I just want my people to go out and share their faith naturally. I want to let the spirit lead them. And we just trust that God's going to make evangelization happen because this is his work anyway. It's not our job. I mean, it is our job, but it's like he's the one who's going to do it. So we're not going to plan it. We're not going to box him in. We're just going to let evangelization happen through us, however the Lord wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess the first thing I'd ask is, did you spend some time forming your leaders? Um I told them that evangelization is really important. Mm-hmm. I, I gave a pretty good, actually, little sermonette <laughs> about Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel. And Pope Francis is calling us to evangelize. This is part of the new evangelization. Uh, and we talked about like the shift in times that we're moving from an age of Christendom to an apostolic age. So I told them that like we have to do this and this is this is who we're supposed to be as Christians. Yeah. Well, you know, Father, I think I would just maybe encourage you and maybe point out that most Catholics have never really seen evangelization happen, Mm. that they've never had someone model for them what that is supposed to look like. Mm. And so obviously we need to know that we have a mission to evangelize, and that's really important. But that doesn't always translate into the ability to do it uh, without some intentional time and and formation and what that looks like. Most Catholics hear that they're supposed to be evangelizing. That's kind of scares them. Mm-hmm. And they don't quite know what that means because they haven't watched others do it. You know, Jen, as you say that, that actually makes a lot of sense because they were nodding 
and like agreeing right away. I really didn't have to persuade them that this is what we're supposed to be doing. Then they got, I got all these kind of off the wall questions about, are we supposed to be going door to door mm-hmm. or could you like train us in apologetics or do I need to go get a master's degree in theology? I mean, those aren't bad, but I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So you're, this is helping because they actually don't know. I don't think they had an imagination for what I thought evangelization was supposed to look like and what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I actually got kind of frustrated because because all the things they kept asking about weren't really what I had in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just also point out, Father, that the most important thing that they need is the ability to build friendships with others. Because mm. the programs that I've seen work are really rooted in a, a deep friendship that forms uh, between the people that are maybe running the program, but also as they're engaging the participants, they're building and fostering friendships with one another and between those participants in a way that they can accompany each other beyond the life of that program. You know, that makes a lot of sense because one of the objections that they were raising that I actually, it did kind of resonate with me is they're like, Father, I'm so busy. I don't know when I can connect with people. And then mm-hmm. they were just talking about like how fast everybody leaves in the parking lot after mass. They, they were saying like, we need a space or a context or some place where we can meet and connect with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things that is lacking when programs uh, don't work is a context that fits into people's lives where they can actually connect mm. and, and have that natural organic friendship. And then the conversations about faith can come from there. So, I mean, from that perspective, a men's golf league is some of the guys were actually like mature disciples. Mm -hmm. That could be a program Mm -hmm. of our parish. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That helps. Thank you, Jen. That was great. Yeah. Okay. As we wrap up here, any last, last advice as somebody's listening and they're like, ah, okay, I know I have a conflicted relationship with programs. I know there's a place for this. I'm just trying to figure out what and when and how, Mm -hmm. where would you encourage them to get started to begin? Yeah. I feel like a little bit of a broken record in saying this, but I'm always going to direct people back to prayer to start. Shocker. I know. Right. Uh, So, so really to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, there's, Mm. there's these desires on my heart. I have some ideas about how those might come to life, but give me a sense of what your will is here. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage people to really, as they just express those things in prayer, to notice what happens in their heart. Um, Do they have a sense of peace? Is there a sense of joy? Mm-hmm. Is there clarity that comes with that? And very, very practically, are the resources and the people and the things that are needed being provided? Yeah. You know, I think we can over-spiritualize this sometimes, but sometimes all of the pieces just line up. Yeah, and it's a sign. The Lord is right? like... He's mm-hmm. confirming, yeah, the desires he's given us. It's clear and simple and easy, and I think we don't have to overthink that. So that would be the first thing that I would encourage. And with that as well, certainly talking to other people in your community, in your parish, to say, is there a, a shared desire for this? Yeah. Talk to the staff, talk to the pastor, get a sense of whether this is something that the Lord seems to be moving and confirming. Yeah, because because the Lord, right, is giving gifts, I'm thinking in, in this case in terms of like talents and charisms, mm-hmm. to individuals who can bring this to life. And I think he loves to do this. It drives us nuts sometimes, but he loves to give us a dream that's bigger than us. Yes. That we cannot accomplish without the help of others. Mm -hmm. And for a leader or an individual to just courageously say, hey, I have a dream, but I actually don't have a plan. Or I have a dream, but I don't have a space Mm -hmm. or I don't have the money. Could you share my dream 
that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's very frequently that the Lord provides for those things through the people around us. Yeah. Jen, this has been great stuff. You're a kind of a professional student of this. Do you want to throw out a few quick uh, book recommendations? Sure. Yeah. I've really been appreciating a book called Intentional Accompaniment, and it's by Michael Hall. This is um, a recently released book that really talks about the intersection between that kind of foundation of friendship and Mm -hmm. walking with people intentionally and where programs fit into that as as a moment that can be leveraged in the context of that ongoing friendship and accompaniment to help people move forward in a tangible way. Yeah, it's a great, great book. Mm -hmm. Jen, you are available to anybody who wants leaders, individuals who are thinking of like, okay, how do I get started? You know, I, I, I have leaders and we have a program, we've got a plan. I need some help forming them or making a plan to form them. How can people get a hold of you? Yeah, so they can reach me here at the Archdiocese. My uh, email is jkmosier, M-O-S-E-R, at archomaha.org. That's a, a great way to reach out. And then, of course, just here at the Chancery as well. Cool. One more time, jkmosier. jkmosier at archomaha.org. How do you spell Mosier? M-O-S-E-R. Jen, thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for what you do. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim.